Blog Talk Radio. Friday, September 4th, 2015 edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard. This is where we discuss news, politics, and culture from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy. Ayn Rand's philosophy of objectivism is the philosophy that uniquely upholds the right to the pursuit of your own happiness. Uh, That song, for those of you who don't know, was U2's Moment of Surrender, and I figured that was appropriate for today where the top story that we're going to be talking about is the Iran so-called deal. Um, Latest news that we have about that is that a key Senate Democrat has announced opposition to the deal. You may have seen over the last couple days that there, you know, again, the, the procedural pickle in which the Republicans allowed themselves to be placed with respect to this deal is just incomprehensible to anybody with common sense. So I actually refuse to fully understand it. But as I gather, it's not that the deal has to actually be approved by a vote, like a normal rational situation. Somehow they have to get enough votes to overturn the deal. And otherwise Obama gets his way. And so then the whole thing is, well, can they get some Democrats on board to oppose this? And just this morning, as I was preparing the program notes, came out this story from New York Times about this key Senate Democrat, Benjamin Cardin. He's the senior Democrat on the Foreign Relations Committee. And what he's saying is that he would oppose the deal even as he acknowledged that the critics of the accord did not have the votes to stop it, etc. So the question is, does this create some sort of hope that they may still be able to stop it in time? Or is this just a Senate Democrat trying to have it both ways, trying to, now that it is safe to oppose the deal because they don't have the votes to stop it, he's just saying, well, you know, I'll go ahead. Selfishness in the chat room says, you mean this is not an actual treaty? Yeah, apparently it's not a normal situation. Uh, Ed in the chat room says that he will be able to go to the rally next Wednesday. I am jealous. That sounds like a good event. And as much as I have tremendous uh, disappointment in Ted Cruz with making such a big kerfuffle over this Kim Davis, 
I am happy that Ted Cruz is coordinating this event to oppose the Iran deal because I figured this is really the most important issue that we have right now. Uh, Dale is there in the chat room. I don't think I've seen you there for a while. It could be because of this new time. Another new time. I'm sorry that I keep confusing you guys by shuffling you around from time to time to time, but I do think this is going to be a sustainable time for the foreseeable future. I chose it in part because of my teaching schedule for this semester, and I wanted to also not conflict with Tammy Bruce. I haven't guest hosted for her for a while. I would love to do it again at some point. I like having that opportunity, but I certainly don't want to uh, try to go head-to-head with Tammy Bruce. So we're here right after her at noon on Friday Pacific time. That's 3 p.m. Eastern time. And I hope you can join me. Uh, Dale says this is a a better live time for him. Joel as well in the chat room. Welcome, Joel. I've seen you here off and on sometimes. It is hard for all of us to have a time that we agree upon. I'm also hoping that we'll have some uh, Europeans that are able to listen, although it's still quite late for them. It just depends if they are night owls or not. Maybe they'll be joining us as well. Um, okay, we have a new person here in the chat room who's coming in with boldface type right away. Um, interesting. If you believe in capitalism, rational republic, oh, that you can see that this is the main issue for us. Yeah, I mean, we definitely, yeah, the Iran deal definitely seems like some kind of a setup. And, you know, what do we make of this Cardin senior Democrat announcing his opposition? He's announcing his opposition in time that maybe he could get other people on his side. Um, So maybe it does raise hope that between, you know, some of the Democrats actually moving on this issue towards doing their job, right? What is job one of our government? Protect us from foreign aggressors. And what are they all doing? They're all laying down. That's why I played Moment of Surrender when we started the show. Um, They're surrendering on behalf of the American people, and we don't want this deal. It's only a twisted, disgusting politician who's looking for whatever crony benefits come out of this deal that can do it. If you go to my blog, at don'tletitgo.com, I have put uh, you know a number of program notes there, like I always try to do for you guys. Occasionally, I get caught up and, and don't, but most of the time, I've got these notes over there for you. And one of the uh, pieces is something that you should look at. It's an op-ed written by Daniel Greenfield. Um, he's typically over at Front Page Magazine, and he's got a uh, the Sultan Kanish blog. This is an op-ed that he's got at Israel. National News, and it's a, it's an op-ed in which he talks about the senators who took money from Iran. So there are a number of Democratic senators who have decided that they're going to go ahead and take money from the Iran lobby. And, uh, you know, it's funny, I, I posted this the other day, and someone's response was, oh, are we really supposed to connect some money that came from the Iranian lobby, you know, the Iranian-American Political Action Committee, that money contributed to a campaign two years ago. Are we supposed to connect that to their support for the deal now? As if everyone has a super short memory and, you know, that politicians have the same memory that the American public apparently has, which is super short. Yes, 
we are supposed to believe that money given from the Iranian American Political Action Committee to Democrats is going to have an effect on their support for the Iran deal. Yes, I do believe that because I also believe that these Senate Democrats are concerned about their future political career as well, so that they want to continue to get these donations. Um, there was one senator who apparently the the money actually kind of maxed out the money that he was able to get from a contributor because of this particular lobby. But go ahead and take a look at that. Um, they are selling this out. If they're selling this out just for money, I mean, that's insane. But they're they're selling this out for sure for their ideology. And it's that ideology, it's that slant, it's their vision for America that I really want to focus on here today. They, These Senate Democrats who are refusing to protect Americans in the face of a clear threat, which is an, a nuclear Iran, um, you know, these Senate Democrats who are willing to condone negotiations with a theocratic regime that has been at war with us since the late 70s at least, they are sharing a vision for America with Barack Obama that is completely inimical to what I talk about here, the American sense of life. For those of you who are joining us for the first time, this show is called Don't Let It Go Unheard. It is named after a 1971 essay written by Ayn Rand called Don't Let It Go, and the it is the American sense of life, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. Oh, people are competing on font size. There are people who join us here in the Blog Talk radio chat room who themselves, they do have a hard time seeing it in the regular font size, and so sometimes they use a bigger font in order to do that. So we try to make a judgment call. Are they doing it in order to have their comments like, kind of drown out other people's, or are they doing it, uh, yeah, a little, maybe a little bit smaller, AVA Indiana. We do welcome you to the chat room here, participant. That's great. Um, but definitely sometimes people here in our chat room, they get sensitive if somebody tries to use different font sizes, bold colors, and things like that. And, you know, occasionally, as you do at Blog Talk Radio, you get uh, trolls. But I don't think this is – no, I, I don't think anyone here, AVA Indiana, disagrees with you about this Iran deal being a complete setup. And, in fact, it was the story that inspired the title of this week's show for me. And, again, the title of this week's show is Barack Obama versus the American Sense of Life. That's – uh, the title for the show today. So again, go to the blog, don'tletitgo.com, and you can see uh, all the stories that I have planned to discuss here. But this Iran deal, I, you know, as far as we understand, it's a done deal. There, it, there are not the votes to oppose it. So Obama is going to have his so-called legacy pretending that he has decreased the risk of a nuclear Iran with it when in fact everybody knows that he has increased both the risk of a nuclear Iran and more immediately perhaps the risk of Iran continuing to finance terrorism against Americans. He might have even helped to finance the destruction of Israel with this deal. So um, it, it definitely needs to be stopped. As far as we know, it's a done deal. Maybe this new Democrat who is voicing his opposition, Benjamin Cardin, he 
he might have an effect on some of his fellow people in his Democratic Party. I just don't know how these people look in the mirror at themselves at night and have this idea that they are fulfilling their duty to protect the American people while not opposing this Iran deal. It could be, you know, that they, you know, Obama purposefully put them in this position where they have to take an affirmative action to oppose it, where they say, well, it's not like I voted for it. I just refuse to vote against it. So you can't blame me. Yeah, if you want to call about this issue or any other issue and talk to me, it's 760-888-5817. Again, that's 760-888-5817. Now, I may have a call here. I'm, I'm expecting Bosch Faustin, the cartoonist, to call in. Let me see if this is him. Hi, who's this? Hello, you're live? Okay, I can't hear, so that must not be him. Um, but I'm expecting a, a similarly uh, kind of coded call when it comes in. So hopefully he's going to call in and talk to us about this. In fact, it was a conversation that I had with him earlier in the week that inspired the you know the title for today's show in conjunction with this nuclear deal. But let's go ahead and talk a little bit about the American sense of life so that you have an idea of, of what I'm talking about. In this essay, Don't Let It Go, it's part of the book, Philosophy Who Needs It. I put a link. Go buy it if you haven't bought it yet. Read it. There's a lot of good stuff in there. But in this essay, Rand talks about the sense of life. What is a sense of life, the sense of life of a person? She defines it, and you know, hold on to your copy here, a, as a preconceptual equivalent of metaphysics. Now, what is metaphysics? Metaphysics is the branch of philosophy that tells you about the nature of universe, the nature of man, and what man's place in the universe is. How do we exist in relation to the universe? Is there just one world that we live in, or are there two dimensions, a heaven, a hell? Uh, who knows what there is, right? So, so I mean, I, I have beliefs about what there is, but the point is is that there's been various options in this field throughout history that human beings have embraced. But that's what metaphysics is. So sense of life is a preconceptual equivalent of this. So it's this implicit sense that you have about what the universe is like, what you are like, what is your place in the universe. And Rand's point in this essay is that Americans have a distinctive sense of life that is, you know, very, very different from what you see around the world. And the crucial role that this implicit sense of life, this implicit grasp of the world and man's place in the world, that that has protected us from sliding into totalitarianism. And she says it's, you know, done a good job so far, but we are increasingly in danger of just relying on an implicit grasp of these ideas instead of continuing to make those ideas explicit. She says, no, we need to make them explicit. Um, what I'm talking about here today is all the ways in which Barack Obama has pursued policies whose effect is going to be to chip away further at the American sense of life and therefore hasten its demise 
so that people can't even act on that implicit grasp of the right ideas that we have. And basically decreasing the amount of time that we have to educate the public and help them make these implicit ideas explicit. Um, This is what is so truly horrible about him. And I see the Iran deal as just the latest example. Um, So, you know, earlier, like I said, I was was talking with Bosch Boston earlier this week, and we were talking about, you know, basically what this deal does. and 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 kind of connecting it also with what is it about Donald Trump that is so appealing to people? Now, I actually have two different ideas about Donald Trump. Sometimes I think that some of the appeal of Donald Trump is a positive sign, that there is something about the American sense of life that appeals to Donald Trump. And then sometimes I think, no, the appeal of Donald Trump is something a little more sinister. But we can go ahead and, and talk about that in a bit. Let me Let me go back to sense of life. So what is this American sense of life? How does Ayn Rand describe it? And she says, you know, just as an individual has a sense of life, the individual has a grasp of what human beings are and what their place is in the world, then a nation also has a sense of life. You can describe it. And she says a nation's sense of life is formed by every individual child's early impression of the world around him. The ideas that he's taught the way of acting that he observes and evaluates. And, um, you know, basically you're going to have the the majority's implicit grasp of what man is, what the universe is, and what's the relation of man to the universe. Um, political trends also uh, are determined by this sense of life. So let me give you the idea. What she does, she says it's, it's a very complex, integration. And so the best way, she says, to identify sense of life is to give you concrete examples. And she goes through and gives you some key aspects of the sense of life, the American sense of life, sometimes by contrast and sometimes just by explaining various aspects of it. But she says, look, if you look at most Europeans, most Europeans have this idea that man belongs to the state that he is a, and I'm quoting from her here, a property to be used and disposed of in compliance with his natural, metaphysically determined fate. A typical European, she writes, may disapprove of a given state and may rebel, seeking to establish what he regards as a better one, like a slave who might seek a better master to serve. But the idea that he is the sovereign and the government is his servant has no emotional reality in his, the European's, consciousness. Now she says, and I'm skipping down a little, a typical American can never fully grasp that kind of feeling. An American is an independent entity. The popular expression of protest against, quote, being pushed around is emotionally unintelligible to Europeans. So Europeans, they see themselves as subservient to a state. They might seek a better state, but they just want to be subservient. Whereas the American, or at least the traditional American sense of life, the American sees itself as an independent entity who refuses to be pushed around, don't tread on me. Uh, In America, every person's money, if it's honestly earned, is as good as the next person's. Whereas to the European, money, if you earn it by personal effort, that's seen as vulgar, crude, or somehow disreputable, writes Rand. 
Uh, we admire achievement. Europeans, she says, by contrast, regard achievement with cynical suspicion and envy. And again, these are generalizations, right? It's a generalization about a culture. Uh, she says, when Americans feel respect for their public figures, it is the respect of equals. We will call political figures FDR, JFK, etc., but that's not how they do it in Europe. For instance, there's a title, Air Doctor Doctor, in Europe, and you just wouldn't have these you know, titles. It's funny. Um, I have students and, you know, high prof and, you know, things like that. It's it's just a different type of culture here. Um, and then she goes on to talk about some practical consequences of the attitude. And we talked about uh, just, I think, just last week when I was praising the heroism of the three Americans who on a French train um, you know, subdued a would-be jihadist who was fully armed. They themselves had no arms. They took initiative. And in this essay, she also talks about the fact that Americans will take initiative even if the European counterpart might see, might see it as stepping out of their place in order to do something. Now, it turns out you learn later that there were, I think, at least one, maybe two Frenchmen who also participated and maybe even started to initiate the attack on this jihadist, you know, to try to subdue him. So good for the the French people who did it. Again, this is a generalization. It's not uh, true of everyone. Um, now, the the attitude that I that I'm really thinking about that it, the better side of me would put as the reason Donald Trump is so popular comes from this part of the essay. So let me give you this other aspect of the American sense of life that Rand is talking about. She says, a European on any social level lives emotionally in a world made by others. He never knows clearly by whom and seeks or accepts his place in it. The American attitude is best expressed by a line from a poem, quote, the world began when I was born and the world is mine to win, end quote. And that comes from The Westerner by Badger Clark, she says. And she goes on to talk about the fact that Americans are typically happy compared to Europeans. Um, but, you know, except the intellectuals in America mostly. But, you know, would you say in, in America people are generally happy as much anymore? These are all questions you can ask and say, well, what's happening to the American sense of life? So so let me let me connect this, right? This idea that you just accept your place in the world and that you should not feel confident in yourself, that you're you know, out to win the world is, is the typical American approach. But everything that Obama has been doing, he's saying, we will tell you what health insurance to buy. How dare you think that you actually built something yourself, Right. It wasn't you that built that. It was other people. And now he's telling you, who are you Americans to think that you have a right to stand up for yourself and your own security? You should be relegated to the same level of insecurity that every other population in the world is relegated to. That is the message of this Iran deal is that, you know, this idea that we should feel like we can withhold funds from a terrorist nation and feel secure. I mean, who are we 
in, you know, to to say whether we should let a hostile theocratic nation who is no doubt ready to arm a nuclear weapon and at least go after our ally Israel, if not try to get a weapon overseas here. Apparently, they're doing deals with the Russians for in, you know ICBMs and the whole bit. <sighs> who are we, right? So, so it's stripping away this idea of confidence, of promise for the future, the idea that the world is ours to win as Americans is what Obama is eroding away. And the better side of me thinks, you know, like me in a better mood, so to speak, thinks that to the extent that people are supporting Trump, they're doing it as a knee-jerk reaction. Why? Because he is the only candidate who is exuding confidence to you know, to the extreme, consistent with the traditional American sense of life. The content of any of the policies, to the extent that he even knows the content of any of his policies, he's not delegating it to somebody to write a report for him and that he can sort of use as talking points. There's it's just not there. There's no there there. And in fact, there's so much of the content of his explicit policies that contradicts the philosophy behind the American sense of life. You know, and again, that's the punchline, right? What's the philosophy behind this American sense of life that I've been describing to you? This idea that we refuse to be pushed around, this idea that we admire achievement, that earning money is a good thing, and that money that's earned out of personal effort is to be accepted and celebrated, not scorned like it would be in Europe. In Europe, it's old money, right? Um, this idea that you look out at the world as a place that begins when you are born. You know, that the most important thing is that you're coming into this world and you're going to go out and create your own place in it and so-called win, not in the sense of conquering other people, but win in the sense of successfully creating your own happy place in this world. Who is the presidential candidate who is at least exuding something that passes for that sort of confidence. Mostly it's Donald Trump. Now, mind you, other candidates, I think, are also exuding some of it, right? You, you see some good positive attitude in Ted Cruz, for example. But Trump is the household name. So here you have a household name. The guy's refusing to be pushed around, right? And he gives a sense of making America great again. So to the extent that there is an American sense of life and people are longing for some idea that we can keep it alive after the barrage of all of Barack Obama's spirit-killing policies. I mean, here, here's the other one. The Black Lives Matter encouraging that movement and its attack on law enforcement and not speaking out against it. What is? I saw a story today. What's Barack Obama doing during the time that all of these police officers are being killed execution style out there? He's in Alaska dancing with some school kids. This is what New York Times had to offer me. So, you know, here he is. He is he is not addressing the issues that Americans need to be addressed to feel secure and safe and stable enough so that they can go ahead and create their own futures 
in the likeness of the their own vision, right? I mean, what is it you know about the world? What do you want to do? If you want to live in this world and you want to be happy, you need to be able to set long-term goals about a career that challenges you, that inspires you, that you want to work hard hours and hours and hours to achieve your goals. This is what every happy human being wants, right? And to the extent that Barack Obama has sucked the life out of the economy, that he is telling Americans that they can't even be sure of having access to health care anymore because he's destroying the entire health care industry. And now he is making deals with our enemies that are going to undermine our very feeling of security, not to mention bringing in suspect massive, you know, hundreds of thousands of suspect populations among whom could be terrorists as well. And our law enforcement is going to be overwhelmed by the amount of so-called refugees and migrants and whatever that he is bringing in at our expense. Not just that they pose a danger to us, but we're paying for it. All of these things that he's doing undermine the American sense of life. Um, There's a policy that I read about several weeks ago that your the uh our federal government is trying to figure out ways to make sure that these migrant populations are infiltrated throughout the entire United States. They don't want enclaves or whatever. They want them to be spread out everywhere so that everywhere you go, you get to be unsure. Everywhere you go, you get to look over your shoulder and wonder does this person wish me good or wish me evil? And I, I think everything that he's done, I mean, you know, we could go through the monetary policy, right? You can't even plan for your future today. I heard that they're starting to look at ways to attack the 401ks. Um, that might be the last nail in the coffin that he tries to put in before he leaves office. And do you think our GOP is going to do anything to stop him? I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, Now we've got a number of people participating here in the chat room. Uh, Cobra in the chat room says, Trump has 13% and always will. I heard in the latest poll he's got 30% of Republicans right now, so I'm not sure what poll you're looking at. Um, Now they're talking about cancer. The cure is not freedom, that's the goal. It's like saying the cure to cancer is good health. So for, um, the cure is not... Well, the, the, the cure, right? What it, What is the cure here? The cure is to actually educate people about the right ideas, the ideas behind the American sense of life. And this has been the work of the Ayn Rand Institute and other people who are you know, working with them and fellow travelers as well to encourage people about the philosophical ideas behind rights and of also, of course, behind implicitly this sense of life. Um, and then what is the consequence going to be? The consequence, if you actually have a population that understands the ideas behind the rights that they enjoy, then they will vote accordingly. That's the goal. But the question is, do we have the time 
to achieve those educational goals before the policies of Obama and his fellow travelers undermine the entire thing. So, um, if you if you do want to call in and talk to me about this, 760-888-5817. I'm going to go ahead and try this one and see if it is uh, Bosch Boston calling in or not. Hi, who's this? Okay, I'm not hearing anything, so I don't know if that's him. I think he is going to try to call in. If you are listening, go ahead and and call in, Bosch. But, yeah, I I do give him credit because we were having this discussion uh, the other day about basically Trump because Limbaugh, uh, Limbaugh had said that the Trump movement isn't about conservatism. And we all know that, right? Because Trump is not a conservative. But he says it's about Americanism. And I don't know to what extent Rush Limbaugh actually understands the true philosophy behind Americanism. He certainly has a great implicit grasp of it. And he has quoted from Ayn Rand on his show. But the these ideas, the you know Rand's philosophy is what's needed in order to defend these ideas against attacks from your egalitarian Bernie Sanders or anybody who is supporting this suicidal foreign policy move with Iran. Um, Under what rational universe do you say that you're going to allow hundreds of billions of dollars to flow to an avowed enemy of the United States that has sponsored terrorism against America and its allies. Why would you let that money flow to them? Why would you allow them, for example, to do self-inspections and all these different things such that you are going to make it easier on them by means of resources and the implicit go-ahead to develop a nuclear weapon? I'd say completely suicidal. Okay, I think this one is going to be Bosch. Hi, is this Bosch? Yep. Great, thanks How's for calling going? in. Um, I mean, to me today, it's not going super well. It's funny because physically, physically, I'm actually feeling better. I haven't really talked to listeners about this, but um, I only found out a couple, like a month and a half ago, I've been battling a, a kidney problem, a weird kidney problem. And um, my kidney, because of a congenital condition, has over the last year not been able to drain properly or whatever. So this has caused all sorts of inflammation and who knows what havoc it's wreaked on my body. It certainly caused me a lot of pain. And so now I had a surgery to fix this and I'm starting to see the effects. So physically, I'm very optimistic. I'm feeling good because I have something that is helping me physically but in terms of the the direction in which this country is going i have no idea what to think i'm i'm actually very pessimistic and this deal you know as far as we know even though you know this senator cardin has you know announced his opposition to the deal as far as i know that's not ne- that's not enough to stop it it's still going strong uh you know there's going to be this big rally on the, there's going to be this big rally on wednesday Sorry. Oh, yeah, I hear some noises. Um, There's going to be this big rally on Wednesday, but, you know, is it going to be able to do anything in order to stop it? Do you you agree that this is a huge cause for pessimism? Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. And that's the whole point of Barack Obama. That's what he wants. He wants Americans to feel not like Americans. 
He wants us to be insecure. He wants us to be at odds with our own nature. He doesn't. He wants to unmake us. When he says fundamental transformation, this is part of it. He wants us to, to be like those that he thinks have gotten a raw deal outside of America. Those who've been bombed, those who've been who who've died of hunger and dying of hunger and suffering. And you know, he says something about if you if you recall, Redman became president about. You know, we can't put our uh, homes uh, at a certain temperature. You know, we can't do that. And the rest of the world just sits back and, you know, and doesn't complain about it. It was unbelievable that he actually came out of his mouth, but he said it. Something along along those lines. But, of course, he meant more than that. He wants to prop up this evil, this enemy of ours, when they're basically, they're anemic without without our Right, right. But, you know, that, that example that you just brought up, the issue of, you know, us, being required, according to our politicians and other authorities, to modify our consumption of fossil fuels. And in particular, for him to say, yes, you have to be uncomfortable so that you actually notice the temperature in your home and that you are uncomfortable. It it is is his explicit goal to take us out of our comfort zone, to take us out of our mastery of this world. The, the ability for us to say, okay, look, we have figured out how to get the basic physical needs satisfied in such a way that we can pursue all kinds of awesome things. I mean, my gosh, I should have put a link to this one, but the, someone uh, on Facebook had shared a story about they've now got a new bionic arm that they can make like in an hour or something. I mean, the, the wow. amount of innovation that is out there is mind-boggling. But here we are on the cusp of being able to, I mean, driverless cars, I mean, all the stuff that you see out there that is so awesome. And so much of the innovation does originate here, not all of it, mind you, but a whole ton of it here in America. And at the same time, in the same country, we have our politicians pursuing policies to basically rip the rug out from underneath everybody who's innovating. And I find it completely unacceptable. You see examples of it. But that example you just gave where Obama's saying, well, you know, we can't just keep our thermostat at that. I mean, just think how simple that is. Imagine when you can control the temperature in your house to whatever temperature makes you the most comfortable. And And he has a problem with that. and, 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 And takes that off your mind, right? So that you aren't even aware of what temperature it is in your so house you, anymore. Yeah, so that's that you can that's the temperature. That's but like that's the temperature that allows you yeah. to think. That allows you to yeah, think, to right? Be at ease, and to yeah, think, to be to at work, ease, produce. to think and create and work and produce. Um, and he you know, doesn't I, want that. I, I'm, he wants I'm reminded, be... you know, Atlas Shrugged. Atlas, by the way, go if you have not read Atlas Shrugged, please go read Atlas Shrugged. Um, use use that link that I have at my blog, the Amazon. Go buy it and, and read it. That'd be awesome. But I was reminded in Atlas Shrugged, they were talking about, um, the, you know, the they're in the office and it's cold and they have to wear the sweaters and stuff because there's a shortage <coughs> of fuel oil or whatever. That's what they want. They want. Yeah. To put us back to the time, you know. I mean, now occasionally you're going to have a utility outage, or you know, something's going to happen. Okay, this happens. But let's keep you know, in mind. So- just just one second. Right. He wants us like this, but he wants to live it up every moment of his presidency. He wants to live like a king at the same time. 
He wants Americans because he doesn't identify himself with Americans. You know, if he did, then he'd be living the same way that he wants us to live. But he, of course, doesn't. He looks down on us. At least, right. sorry, he, he, at least he'd like to. Like our enemies like to look down on us, but we're so high that they can't. But I'm sorry, just, well, just, just he, one he thing. Wants, he wants. He wants to take us away from. You know, again, go back to that idea and don't let he it go. He wants to unmake sure. Americans. He wants to unmake Americans. Yeah, right. Right, but I mean, take, remember he—he he knows what that is. He knows that. Right, but remember, remember in in the essay, Rand is talking about the idea that Americans see themselves as equal to yes. the public figures and the politicians and the things like that. Right. He doesn't want us to see it that way. No. It, he, no. He he is the benefactor of mankind. Right. He's but the also, benefactor. He wants, us, he wants us to fear them. I mean, he wants us to fear them because he's creating a, a, a country of chaos where we don't yeah. know what's going to hit us tomorrow. Right. So he wants us to be a little on our toes about our leaders, like other countries are. One of the ugliest things I recall hearing uh, the reaction to 9-11 was when Europeans were saying, ah, see America, see, do you understand? Right. As in, you get, you're going to get yours now. It's time for you to live like us. Well, and he, and he wants ugly. to make sure his legacy is fundamentally transforming United States of America into and, a whole and so the world can high five him. So so the world can high five him when he's out. Because he, as far as I know, he's probably gonna leave her when he's done. But what I'm saying the whole world can high five him. Good. You put America in its place. Good. Right. So, so, we'll get so let, me, let, me, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this because I, there are two sort of competing interpretations of why Trump is popular. Right. And one of them is the whatever's left, whatever battered American sense of life is left in people is attracted to Trump because, a Trump, you know, Trump refuses to be pushed around. He talks about a, an America that refuses to be pushed around. He's got all the wrong policies. Right. But he's yes. talking about, you know, cause, I mean, just to give one example of what I mean by the wrong policies. OK, his idea of a way that we're going to fix our economy is by making so-called trade deals with other countries yeah. in which we get the so-called upper, yeah we we get the upper hand by imposing all sorts of tariffs on their goods and stuff like okay this yeah. is the wrong way to go right about about fixing the economy he's going to run it like a business you know which means he's going to still uh-huh. have that heavy hand of control over it but he'll just do it somewhat right so he's got the wrong policies. But this idea of at least wanting to make America great, to make you optimistic about your future, um, you know, he has the That's idea, the of, you know, of, of of saving us from external attack via immigration policy, which is not the the primary way that you can do it for sure. Um, you know, so he's got the wrong policies, but he's got this right, you know, gut sense that is appealing to Americans. That's my optimistic side. The pessimistic side is that we have been eroded to such an extent that we're reduced to racist xenophobia and that that's what he's appealing to. What do you think it is? I mean, I think it is the Americanism that he exudes. He's rich. He's famous. He's successful in the world. He does uh, basically doesn't take crap from from, I guess, petty people, but sure as hell is willing to take crap from, from others. The way he basically, he, he attacked Pamela Geller and us after Garland, which was pathetic. But then he'll go after uh, the idiot um, uh, Jabbar, what's his name? Abdul Jabbar? Kareem mm-hmm. Abdul Jabbar. 
who calls himself a journalist, by the way. I didn't know that, but he's a journalist now, right? He writes Time Magazine. He's yeah. a hack. He said that uh, basically that Trump is undercutting the Constitution. It's like, wait, who is undercutting the Constitution? Who has the power today? Who has been doing it for the last seven years? It doesn't matter that. So Trump tells him, there's a reason why nobody likes you. The media didn't like you. And he is. He's very unlockable. He's a rat. A Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, especially after he became a Muslim. He was like 24, 25 years old. And there's a history of his uh, mistreatment of women since he became Muslim. And he's mm. trashing Trump for his, his mistreatment of women, like Megyn Kelly. But anyway, mm. so we like that. We like the fact that he calls these rats out. But uh, what we don't like, what I don't like, is when Hugh Hewitt asked him simple questions about the enemy and the individuals involved with the threats that we faced that he couldn't answer that. He didn't know what he was talking about. And he says, ah, 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 that's a gotcha question. I don't like that. Well, and, and, and this, 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 actually, this actually brings me into my next point, right? Because, you know, again, if we, if we look at the more optimistic interpretation of a, you know, Trump candidacy and the popularity of Trump and what it means, the more optimistic interpretation is that he represents what's left of the American sense of life. It's kind of rough and tumble. It's very, very rough around the edges, but there it is. And and again, there's it's not feeling, that yeah. it, it, it's it's not that there's not other candidates that don't represent this, right? So I would say that you can see some of it for sure in Ted Cruz. You can see some of it in Carly Fiorina, for it, example. You can you can Trump. definitely see some of it in Rubio. Well, but the thing about Trump is that he's just this household name, right? And yeah, he's, he's household, not a. And, and and he's not a politician. He's not a politician. And he's not a politician. We're right. sick of politicians. Americans are mm-hmm. absolutely sick of politicians. But this guy's a crony capitalist at the same time. So he's been in bed with, with the politicians. He's owned politicians. So he's pretty corrupt in that sense. But still, technically speaking, he's not a politician. That's why Ben Carson is way up. He's not a politician either. Right. But I think when it comes to finding out a little more about Trump, when the debates keep coming, He's going to mess up because he's not a thinker. Well, and and this is the thing. This is the thing, right? When they throw out Trump, because, you know, there's massive headlines everywhere about how, and and I listen to the audio. Do listen. Everybody should listen to the audio for themselves. Uh, Trump did an interview with Hugh Hewitt, and Hugh Hewitt shamed him on foreign policy. He was completely ignorant. And then Hewitt, Hewitt went on to ask, unprompted, she didn't know in advance, Carly Fiorina the same questions. And Carly Fiorina came across as knowledgeable. In fact, the CNN commentators were all praising her, you know, answering of the questions. As, as it ought to be. These people, so, running so, for, these people are running for president. They have to be informed. Trump said, right. I'll know right. it then. On day one, I'll know it. No, no, idiot. you got to know it now. You need so to know what I know, a cartoonist. You need exactly. to know what a cartoonist knows. To become exactly. Now, mind you, I didn't know as much about the coup forces and w- that Carly Fiorina did, but she's, she's running for president, and I'm not. So she's you know, if I'm that's all point. Right. Yeah, um, but point. she's running for president. Here, he's running for president. Right. Right. But so here's my concern. My concern is he's he's going to get exposed. Now, I guess it could go one of two ways. The, a bunch of people might not even care whether he even knows his stuff. When the, and then you start to say. A lot okay, of people if, don't know their stuff. Yeah. Well, so if this is the American sense of life where they just don't even care whether the candidate knows his stuff and they're so desperate for a sign of confidence and somebody being refused to push around and, you know, 
someone who knows that he can make his own way in the world and succeed and earning money is fine, even though he says he wants to tax the rich. I mean, he's so full yeah. of contradictions and full of garbage, and he doesn't know his stuff, right? He's full of crap. But, but, so they're so desperate, so it could, it could mean that. But what if the reaction is they say, okay, we know, the party's up, we, we have to throw this guy out. Do they throw the baby out with the bathwater and the baby being the American sense of life? Do they say, okay, no. you know, no, the person Cruz who has this attitude is somebody that we need to throw out? Yeah, but Cruz represents the Cruz is Trump with a brain and less money. But, but I mean, will that's, they that's see that? Will they see that? I think so will, because will he's the only, he'll be the only one there. That. No, but he'll be the only one there. He'll be there. He'll be the guy who is second, you know, most, I guess, out there as Trump was. I mean, he's the guy who he, he says things. I mean, Cruz is a very soft-spoken guy, relatively speaking. He's not, uh, you know, he's not like Trump. He doesn't trump it out as he is, but he speaks some some truths that are pretty hard. People are like, whoa. Even yeah. little things we'll, that does with the we'll basic, uh, with the machine gun. We'll, we'll talk about Kim, uh, Cruz on Kim Davis in a minute. Let me uh, pick up a couple things in here in the chat room because some people are, are uh, giving some good input here. Uh, Ed, actually, Rob Abriera says that he's a household name. Why? Because of the American sense of life. And Ed adds that he's a household name because he would say, you're fired, right? And he says, America wants someone in D.C. who can say yeah. we're fired. This is what we want, well, right? And, we, and we, we want also don't, don't want to be we don't want to be smeared either. He doesn't smear American people. He doesn't put us down. He doesn't call us idiots. Our politicians always do that, whether explicitly or implicitly. And he understands. I mean, he doesn't speak down to us. I mean, he he goes after individuals sometimes, but as a as a, as American people, he doesn't put us down. Tired of being put down, also. We're tired of it. Right. We're a, we're right. A good people. In general, we are a very good people, and we don't need to be smeared anymore by these hacks in Washington. Right, right. And then the question is, will the good American sense of life be thrown irrevocably into a horrible package deal with the irrational aspects of Trump and some of his followers? And that's really the danger and 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 then i would go ahead and, and take a step further and go ahead and, and say that this is the reaction to barack obama and his policies right no here's doubt. the and the washington the and, the, and the gop right and the gop yeah and the, yeah the gop has piled on the gop has piled on and I mean, it's basically it's, because, it's trumpenstein it is trumpenstein he's a creation of right. the uh of the void i mean there is right. There has been no opposition against Obama, zero, none, zero. It's not even a pretense anymore with Mitch McConnell and uh, and Boehner, nothing. And Trump, you know, but but Trump noticed one thing also. He doesn't go after a Barack Obama. It's very cheap when he's asked. Yeah, he's bad for the economy. This yeah. deal is bad. And also, Hillary Clinton, his one go-to line: she's the worst Secretary of State ever. Because I guess Levin said that or something. Yeah, like I said, so he, yeah, he, he's, he has no, yeah, he. He has no fundamental Hopefully. criticism against, against Hillary Clinton. That's his friend for 20, 30 years, right. Hillary Hopefully. Clinton. That's his buddy. Actually, he got one thing right, and that was the Kim Davis thing, right? Yes. Yes, it did, actually. Now, Mark Levin is losing his mind over it. Others are losing their mind over it. He's saying, basically, uh, well, this is the law of the land. And I mean, look, fire her. What the hell is wrong with that? Fire her if she won't do it. Or, or let her quit in good conscience, as far as she's concerned. I can't do this in good conscience. Okay, quit. Leave. 
But she now, doesn't want to do it, and she wants to get paid. Kay, Kay McInnes is in the chat room asking this question. What do you think of Steve Wynn advising Trump? Now, I know little of Steve Wynn, but... Well, he's of- been a very hardcore critic against Obama. He is sick of Obama. There is that. But you does know, he does he man. have more ideas and more competence with I which to no advise? Um, I, I no seem idea. to remember a connection to a better set of ideas coming from Wynn, but my, I would have to have my memory uh, refreshed. So if he, you've he got more, more reserves than Trump, Wynn, you know, um, uh, Kay, if you're here in the chat room, if you want to call in and and tell me, uh, you know, what you're thinking of in particular, that would be great. Um, I, I seem to have a memory that Wynn is associated with some better ideas than, than Trump is, and th- this might be a positive development. Plus, plus he, went, but, he went after Obama early on. He went after Obama early on when Obama went after him and businessmen early on. He, he, mm-hmm. he was one of the first ones who, who spoke out, a major figure. The other guys just shut their traps. He said, no, well, this, this is if wrong. If you do have a businessman who is standing up for himself against an overbearing government, that's always a good sign. Did he seem to always. be doing did he seem to be communicating it effectively as well? I mean, that's... that's yeah, I think so. Yeah. Right? I mean, I, um, I recall. Selfishness here in the chat room says, Trump is America standing on a skyscraper shouting. Yeah. Now, yeah, you, you know, pissed off. That, pissed off. Yeah. You know, it's funny. When, when, I, when I see Trump, when I see Trump, though, and you think, okay, Trump versus Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan oh, definitely exuded the oh. American sense of life. In such we also had a brain. Kind, benevolent yeah. way, <laughs> and he. This is the bull in the china shop version of American yeah. life. That's what Trump is, and this and is, it, like I said, it's just it's so rough around the edges, it's, and it, it's hardened, right? And and it's because of Barack Obama. It's because of it, and not just Obama, but you know Bush's predecessor. I mean, here we are. Ever since nine eleven, we were betrayed by Bush. Bush had the, you know, political capital that he could have spent and conducted an effective campaign against the jihadist enemy and he refused to. He destroyed, he sold out capitalist principles in order to quote save the free market, but he laid in this idea of the bailouts, right? Um the the quantitative expansions and all the different so called you know, he gave us a model. He gave us a he gave us Obama, but he you know he started this trend. So between him and Obama, it, it's like you, if you could do a uh, you know a cartoon of the American sense of life, how beat up and rough around the edges it is, it's that that is grasping on to Trump. And the problem yeah. is is that whereas the American sense of life used to be more you know completely in line with the right philosophy. Now it's being distorted in in various but ways. This. I just don't know what but the outcome is going to be, right? May, but maybe a return to something great requires a kind of ugly transition. If you understand what I'm saying, it's like it needs something ugly and forceful and not refined at all, at all. Well, I okay. Mean, in in today kind of in today's break. in today's context, in today's context, that might actually be true because. Those of us who are trying to educate, those of us who are trying to educate people about better ideas have not completed our work yet, right? So that people don't know that the reaction to Barack Obama is not 
Donald Trump. It's somebody more like a secular Ted Cruz, right? If if you had a secular Ted Cruz, that would be the right type of candidate that we would ideally all embrace right now. Um, He gets too sidetracked with with the religious issues. He gets way too sidetracked, way too sidetracked, especially of late. Yeah, definitely. He's still the best, but man. Now, um, now, Bosh, I've I've got another call. Um, do you want me to okay. pull you back on again later? Because I was going to talk at the end of the show about the release of Infidel Three. Oh, definitely. Okay, so you're going to stay listening. I, I call in around what one fifteen, one twenty. Sounds good. Okay. 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 Hi, who's this? Hey, Amy. This is Ed. How you doing? I thought that might be you. So how are you? I'm doing fine. I'm uh, I'm trying to I cleared my schedule today for Wednesday to go see the uh the Iran rally. Uh so I'll, I'll be interested to see to see that. I I try and avoid DC like the plague, but this time I'll go in and I check mean, so, it out. So my my position on the rally is even if there is nothing practically that it can do, it is good that this rally exists. But do you think it can do anything practically as well, or no? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, the it's a it's a done deal. It always was a done deal. Um, the uh, the chief villain in this, besides Obama, obviously, is uh, Senator Bob Corker, who created this this crazy law which requires two thirds of the Senate and House to agree to it, uh, rather than rather than uh, two thirds to agree. Yeah. One thirds to agree to it, rather than two thirds to agree to it. I apologize, my math is not very good today. Um, and the reason is, uh, you know, there's this idea of what's called an executive agreement, and the Supreme Court, in yet another one of their spectacularly wrong decisions, ha- uh, claimed many years ago that that the president can make these executive agreements with uh, with other countries. Um, without Congress. Now, that was only supposed to be things like, uh, yeah, we'll, you know, if if you come visit, we'll give you a state dinner. You don't need a treaty power to do that. But but it's been more and more used for essentially just doing treaties. Uh, And that's what he claimed it was. And they said, well, how about if we, you know, do this this sort of thing? And, And it was just handing him congressional approval of it, that, which was crazy. I mean, you, you could have argued in the courts that we should have been a treaty, but um, it's, I mean, it's, they it's have this stupid law, then... This is, this is horrible, and, and I do. I think it is part of Obama's concerted effort to fundamentally change the mindset of Americans, and some Americans are not taking it. They're kicking and screaming, and they're going over to candidates like Trump. Yeah, I mean, I think that's I think that's right. I mean, I, on the Iran thing, I think there's a, you know three possibilities: the good, the bad, and the ugly. And uh, the good is, and this is unlikely, that uh, we really do have good intelligence that they are not interested in uh, building a nuclear weapon anytime yeah. soon. And uh, and so um, you know maybe if we open up the country for business, uh, we can potentially change them. I I think that's very unlikely. The the bad is um, that uh, Obama wants to bring uh, the United States down in the world, and so he's aligned for our enemies. And the ugly, of course, is that the Iranians already have nuclear weapons, and 
and they want to do this deal because the Iranians are behind the scenes threatening us. I mean, that's just as possible as number one. Um, right, right. Actually, I, mean, it, I didn't even think of that horrible possibility, but I was thinking that the reason that they would want to do this deal, uh, the Iranians, suppose that they're not doing it to threaten us, but it, you know they're just pretending that they don't have the weapons yet, but they do. But they just need the finances in order to buy the systems they need to deliver the weapons to their intended targets, namely Israel and the United States. Well, from the enrichment of uranium perspective, I mean, the United States started enriching uranium in 1942, and we delivered a uh, functional, uh, you know, gun-assembled uranium weapon over Hiroshima in the fall of 45. Right. Uh, the Iranians, the Iranians have been uh, enriching uranium for well over 15 years, maybe 20 years, um, and uh, this is this is you know, this is hard, and they've had some setbacks, but. I don't think they're seven times stupider than we are, especially after they stole all the information from us uh, or so, were given it so by the our, Russians. Our hope, so. Right. Our, our only hope is, and I, I'm gonna, we have to leave the Iran deal topic soon because it's going to get me too depressed. Um, okay. No, sure. and I'm, I'm asking you what you think about something else, it's something completely different. Um, but But our only hope is either Israel – does something, if something needs to be done in the interim to stop Iran from carrying out mass carnage, uh, or second, that we do get a candidate in office in 2016 who will just undo, revoke this deal, and may, you know, hopefully before it's too late. But I, I think by then it's probably going to be too late anyway. I don't know that there's anything, you know, even if they revoke the deal as of the first day they come to office a lot of the damage will have already been done, agreed? Um, to a certain extent, uh, you know, they'll have the, the money and, and that will help. Uh, the traitorous European countries will rush in and make uh, trade deals and start pumping suicidal you know, European oil out more and like whatnot. It. Suicidal European the, countries as well, yeah. Yeah, more suicidal. The, the I, You know, hopefully they will, I mean, they're, they're already cheating on the deal right now. So, I mean, it's it's not like there wouldn't be a basis for some new president to say, um, you know, they're not uh, yeah. agreeing, uh, agreeing with the deal. So, I mean, that, you know, that, that would be easy. It, it's, it's sort of what to do. I mean, I, it's a very, very long discussion, which I'm going to spare you, but I'm going to tell you the conclusion, which is I do not really believe Israel has the military capability to seriously degrade the Israeli, uh, to the Iranian weapons program. And uh, I can back that up with facts and figures, but it takes 15 minutes and you don't have that. Um, and that's, that's the real reason why Israel has not attacked over the last five or ten years. They simply don't have the capability to do uh, any serious damage to the Iranian well, uh, then program. Well, then whoever takes office in 2017, if it is somebody half good, then maybe he or she will team up with Israel and work together to defeat this monster that yeah, Barack I mean, Obama the, helped to create. The United States certainly has the military capability to uh, do it, um, but we would need the cooperation of one of the Gulf states, as would Israel, by the way. Right. And it would be, and of course, the Iranians get to fight back. That's the problem with war. Uh, and there are a number of things the, the Iranians can do to make our lives a little bit hell. Um, 
And so there are, there are, there are costs to an attack. I'm, I'm not saying I'm against an attack. I'm just saying that uh, right. I read a number of people saying such an attack would be easy. It, w- it would not be easy. And it w- it's worth doing, I think, but I, we ought to go in with open eyes that this will be a very, very difficult uh because you know the, I, I think one of the best cartoons that uh, political cartoons that Bosch Foston ever made was that one about Iran. Uh, if everybody just Googles Foston, F-A-W-S-T-I-N, and Iran, where he talks about the decades of bipartisan appeasement of Iran, all the different presidents who ran, ran away from the problem of enabling this monster that has been created. Obama is just the latest, perhaps the worst, but still just the latest. If we all all pretend, uh, if if we all pretend Iran is not at war with us, then maybe Iran won't be at war with us. I mean, that's basically their, you know, the, the policy since. That's, that's what I call I call that the foreign policy of ostracism, where you just bury your ostracism, head in the sand. Yes, exactly. Yes. Exactly. Yes, that, okay, that, so you're gonna ask wrong. me a completely different topic. What were you gonna ask? So here here's our completely different topic. What is your take on Kim Davis? You stand with her or not with her? Okay, well I think this is a I think this is a more subtle issue than standing with her or standing not with her. And I posted something on Ed Basil's Facebook feed last night on it. Um, obviously, I'm not in favor of clerks uh, disobeying the law, um, but I would step back from the actual issue of gay marriage and look at what happened, and that is that uh, uh, this woman was, was thrown into jail um, for – now she's an elected official. Now, if she were an appointed official or if she were you know, just an employee, she could be she fired. Just be fired. Right. She'd just be fine, right? But she's an right. elected official. Right. And I I find it extremely troubling that the courts are able to throw an elected official in jail. Okay. Now, okay. when, uh, at, ir- irrespective of the issue, some issues we agree with, some issues we don't agree with. Um, for instance, when desegregation was going on in uh, you know, in the, in the 60s and 70s and uh, busing, Another brilliant Supreme Court invention from whole cloth. Um, uh, You did not see, and the the school boards, you just refused to do it. You know, I mean, they they did. They just refused to do it. Uh, um, You did not see the courts throw school boards, again, elected officials, in jail. They Mm. merely took control of the school district away from the court and put it under a judge's stewardship, but they didn't throw the elected officials in jail. They fixed the legal problem, which after all they're under, they, they are required to fix the problem, but they didn't throw elected officials in jail. And um, there were all sorts of remedies available to this federal judge other than putting Davis in jail. Um, He, he could have, he could have ordered that, uh, you know, the deputy clerks have the power uh, to do this. He could have ordered a local county judge has the power to issue marriage right. licenses. He could have appointed one of his own law clerks 
to uh, do it. I mean, there are all sorts of remedies other than throwing elected official in jail. So, so that, uh, I, so that's the thing that really troubles you the most is the fact that she was it, put in jail as an elected official. That's right. Now, I understand that you know contempt of court is serious, um, and that generally the remedy is uh, is jail time. I, you know, people get put in jail for contempt of court all the time. Um, however, when you do it to an elected official, I mean, where does this end, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is this is a threat to self government. Okay, no, no, I and I I'm I'm sympathetic with with that view, but then let me ask a different angle someone, on the someone, question. Let me give you let me give you another sure. example. Someone someone said, well, you know, what if the Obamacare decision went against Obama, and he refused to uh, to right. implement the judge's order? You know, I, I what thought, would you have done I, there? And, and you know he, what? He uh, breaks the law was, all the time. He breaks the law all oh, yeah. the time. Well, yeah. that's that's a whole different issue. But I mean, right. do you really want to say that some Supreme Court justice can order a federal marshal to arrest the president of the United States and throw him in jail until he does what the court wants. I mean, is that is that where we're going with this? Because that's what we're doing now. She's a she's an extremely minor, ex- extremely confused elected official in Tennessee. But the end of this is some court ordering a governor or a senator. Uh, without a trial. Remember, contempt of court is not a trial. There's no trial. It's just an right. order. Right. Um, or or even the president or some cabinet secretary or something uh, thrown in jail on the order of a court. And I, I am against that 100%. And that is where we're going with this Kim Davis thing. Now, I, I'm not sympathetic to her viewpoint, of course, but I am very, very troubled with what the judge did. Okay. Now, why did he? Why did the judge do it? Well, it was to teach everybody a lesson that uh, that leftism is going to be imposed on the country by force. I mean, and that's the lesson. Um, that so, they're they're sharpening so, the knives. So then, you would you also be sympathetic with the way that Ted Cruz has come out in favor of the clerk? Um, making it an issue of so-called religious liberty and and all of that, or if you were in his place, you would have you know put the issue more in the way that you have. Of course, I mean obviously you would do that. But to me, I was very troubled with this idea of Cruz coming out there and this is an issue of religious liberty, you know, and choosing this. It se- it seems like there would be you know other ways to 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 frame this that would be much more sympathetic to the general public. It seems like, you know, to the extent that the way that these candidates are doing it, they're pandering more to the religious right than anything else. Um, well, I haven't read in detail what Cruz said, but obviously it's not uh, it, it's not an issue of religious liberty because she is an elected official. She is not capable of, of doing the job that she was elected for. From a conscience perspective, then she should resign. That's what people should do. Cruz's point, or or the right's point, I've read I've read some right wing articles and I haven't read Cruz, is that if you do that, then you know no Christian can ever serve in, in government. Um, so they're they're pushing it back. Uh, it is an attack on Christianity, and you know I don't have a lot of sympathy for Christianity, but let's be honest, it's an attack on Christianity. This whole gay marriage thing with the florists and the bakers 
and the well, the right, right, but there, there's, and there's it's, a it's definite all... difference, right? If if he if he throws this under the concept of religious liberty, along with the private baker or the private florist who just doesn't want to bake the cake or you know make the flower arrangements for the gay wedding, then he is deceiving. Well, he's making a mistake. Yes, and and That's it, a and it's. It's a very important mistake, and it's one where I, you know, I got a really bad taste in my mouth seeing Cruz, you know, put this out there as an issue of religious liberty and everything else. Um, you know, you can say, okay, I personally disagree with this, and I think that, you know, jail is the wrong uh, approach when you have an elected official. It sets a very dangerous precedent, whatever, but he doesn't have to be pushing the religious line and put this under that same concept as you know in his mind religious liberty which is i guess vague at best in his mind i don't know or at least he thinks it's vague in the public that he's appealing to it's it's vague in their minds it that's dangerous to me um well yeah i mean i i i i think it's wrong i don't think there's a religious liberty issue here but i you know i would I would say it's an attack on Christianity, and it is, but that's not necessarily, in this particular case, an example of a denial of religious liberty. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, I mean, I, what can you say? The guy's not perfect. Remember I told you that Reagan was only like a third right, and yeah. he rebounded the country? I mean, Cruz is like two-thirds right. We're, if he gets in, we're, in, we're, we're going to do okay. Still, I mean, uh, so you know, you again, gotta... talk, talk to me next week if he if he gets better. I just I just felt also, Fox News doesn't really like him, and yet they do have him on regularly. And I feel like if he's got prime time Megyn Kelly, Fox News, and he uses it to speak out on so called religious liberty on behalf of this clerk in that way, it's a tremendous waste at best, and it's counterproductive you know, at worst. And, and so I it, it puts a bad taste in my mouth. And it makes me, you know, I have not, for example, to, to all the extent that, you know, I've, I've liked Ted Cruz and I've, I've spoken favorably about him for a long time. I haven't bought a T-shirt or a bumper sticker or whatever because I feel like if I put that on my car, people think I'm behind Ted Cruz's concept of religious liberty, which I am not. I am for freedom, individual rights for everyone. And yes, I happen to agree with Ted Cruz about the private baker and the private florist, but this court clerk, you know, again, like you say, there are some particular dangerous precedents being set by throwing her in jail, but to put it under the same umbrella of religious liberty with these other people and get people taking the you know, justified emotional reaction they have when a baker is forced to bake a cake and put that over to the court clerk. I, it's just invalid, you know? Are you there? Oh, no. He got disconnected. And I didn't do anything. I promise I didn't push a single button. Oh, maybe I was ranting too long. I don't know. Um, let me go ahead and I think... Uh, hi, is this Bosch? Uh, actually, this is uh, Dave. I'm just uh, enjoying your show. I'm uh, from Portland, Oregon. Oh, okay, Dave. Well, welcome to the show. You do have the question icon pressed, so did you have a brief comment before I go on? Because I, I will talk to Bosch towards the end of the show, but I have a couple minutes here. 
Yes. Uh, now, this could just be, I don't know, maybe it's beyond the scope of what we're trying to do, but the, the question that comes to mind for me in talking about presidential candidates and whatnot, and I think it applies to the American sense of life, possibly, is in um, somehow keeping the, the question alive of the proper role of government, meaning, you know, to protect individual rights. And then, you know, if that can be established, making a contrast between, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, the role of government, which is to protect individual rights, versus putting the government in a role where it can make moral decisions and, and act upon that. Does, does that make sense? So the contrast right. of... And so so are, you, are, you thinking, are you thinking of the Kim Davis case in particular where, you know, as I was exploring with Ed, in effect, the government is using force to impose, you know, a particular view of homosexual marriage on people who don't necessarily agree, right? Yes, I think in relation to Kim Davis, I mean, even in terms of what we're talking about with the Iran, meaning if, if the government is supposed to protect you know, kind of spidering down and saying, well, how does this relate to its proper role, protecting individual rights versus, like you said, um, something that gets a bit more subtle in that regard. And, and, you know, somehow validating both sides saying, yes, it's important to talk about moral decisions, but do you really want the government to be the arbiter of all moral decisions versus just maybe give it one specific role, which is protect individual rights and, and nothing else? Right. Protect our rights and then allow us, through the exercise of our rights, to educate one another as to what the correct view of morality is, which is what I try to do here on this show, right? Um, yeah, I mean, definitely. definitely. And, and the problem is, is that the policies that our current administration is pursuing are so inimical to human life and security and our rights that it's undermining our ability further and further to just conduct ourselves and live and, and be happy. And that was really kind of the, you know, the theme of this show, just brought on mostly because of the Iran deal. Yes, yes, I 100% agree. I, I appreciate uh, what you're doing here with the show. Thanks very much, Dave, and, and thanks for calling in. First-time caller, right? Yes. Yeah, well, please do call again. I'm I'm hoping that the time works for you. That's great. And uh, we'll hear from you. I'm going to go ahead and switch over now. I wanted to spend a couple minutes towards the end here uh, talking to Bosch. This is Bosch, right? That's Pigman. Oh, it's Pigman now. Okay. Yeah, yeah, Ed got disconnected. I don't know exactly how that happened, but Ed, I trust maybe that you can talk to us next week. And I'm hoping that Ed is going to give us a report from the ground, so yes. to speak, uh, what it's like yes. at that Iran rally. Um, he, yeah, I'd love to hear that. He confirmed my fears, which is that the rally, as awesome as it sounds, is probably not going to do anything, much like Ted Cruz being on the floor of the Senate giving that awesome yeah, filibuster-like speech that never really but, could succeed in defunding Obamacare. Yeah, but these things are setting the stage. Uh, we want to see the outcry. We want to see who's opposed to it, how many people will be opposed to it, uh, how many people will well, be interviewed after the fact. I you mean, know Ed's what I going, was... Ed, you know, going a reason to show his own protest against it no exactly exactly and and here's another kind of you know thought in my mind if 
Trump is bringing the spotlight that he has and and allowing it to shine on some of these other people who are better at articulating the substantive policy that needs to be articulated. You know, your Levin, your Cruz is, I guess Beck is going to be there. He's sometimes, "Mm." but yeah, yeah, maybe he'll, he'll be okay there too. He's mostly going to be, you know, talking about his book and how nobody else wanted to put their name oh. on it, right? Um, <laughs> so bad. I thought uh, that's after. But but none yeah, I mean we talk about that, but um nonetheless, it there may be some positive aspects. And and what do these events I do again? So. You know, when people in the past have said, you know, why does you know, Cruz grandstand and there's nothing good uh, that can be achieved and the blah blah. It's important. This Events like this, to the extent that they're done properly, can help nurture the American sense of life. No doubt they about it. Can nurture it. So, um, so yeah, in the in favor of the event, yes. Um, we we talked about the Kim Davis thing, I think, well enough. Um, there yeah, is an article. Good points there. Yeah, definitely. There there is an article um that you sent me, Bosch, that people should take a peek at, which is how Trump exposed the Tea Party. It's yeah. they're basically trying to say that the Tea Party doesn't stand what it stands for. The Tea Party does stand for the American life. And does. how inaccurate and, uh, again, sorry, it's a hit piece against Trump and the Tea Party taking both down. That's the point of the piece. Right. Right. So it, it is political, left wing rag. I, I really, but, I really, I really think the way to look at it is what we've been talking about here. That you've got this thing called the American sense of life, and it has been warped and beaten out of recognition to a certain extent because of the policies of Bush and Obama, and even people who came before them. But particularly through this Obama presidency, that American sense of life has just been pummeled and maimed, right? Yep. And yep. now that American sense of life is appealing, you know, is, is finds Trump appealing versus a Reagan, it's not their fault in effect, right? That's what I'm saying. No. And and no, the question is what do you, you know, what do you do with it? Well, you have to, to choose the best out of the best that we have. He's the mm-hmm. loudest. That's why he's also the most famous. People seem to forget that. He's the most famous of the candidates. He's a decade long he's a celebrity. That's what he is. He's a reality TV star for over a decade. For 30, mm-hmm. 40 years, everyone has known him. Since the 70s, 80s, 90s, he's a loudmouth. He always, uh, you know, forces himself into issues and comments on them. So that's that's a factor also. If he just came in there with no reputation whatsoever, you think he'd be where he is? Not at all. No. I doubt it. No. I mean, I just he has that whole history. And people are like, yes, yes, we know Trump. We know what he stands for. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, we I mean, know really, the, this, the hope is the hope is is that the spotlight that's on him can be used to shine on more suitable candidates. And I to hope the extent so. to the extent that these other candidates are refusing to be pushed around, who are showing confidence that we are morally entitled to make our own way in the world as Americans and be successful and be happy. Hopefully that that is going to happen. But you know, again, Hopefully. today talk about how optimistic I am about it. Mm. Um, yeah. A couple other things I want to mention, and then I got to ask you about the Infidel Three. Um, people should just go to my blog at don'tletitgo.com. Check out all those program notes I've got for today. Two of them to mention before we go on to the Infidel. First, thanks Rob for sending this. It is a link to a story about a 
uh, three statues, a suite of three statues unveiled in Berlin, Snowden, Assange, and Manning. Um, you know, I, what I what I feel like here is you have the same ill-formed concept uh, used to group Snowden, Assange, and Manning, you know, this kind of horrible package deal. And it's similar to what we talked about with so-called religious liberty that Ted Cruz uses, right? Religious liberty, right. liberty for religious people. Let's not even talk about whether rights are actually at stake yes. and you know how they're at stake and all that stuff. Let's just loosely throw them in there. And then here we've got, quote, whistleblowers. And, you know, I'm still in the camp who believes that Snowden was, if you want to call him a whistleblower, well-meaning and that he wants to, you know, inform the American people about an infringement on their rights that is unjust and that couldn't have been uh, redressed and may not even be able to be redressed this way, depending on what the courts do, right? But at least released information that could create court cases and challenges and oversight necessary. And then you've got Assange and Manning who are more nihilistic and anti-American, and you're lumping them all together and so-called honoring all three of them in these statues, blah. That's that's yeah. my take there. But, you know, everybody can go look for themselves. Another one, um, I think you also, you saw this story earlier this week too, maybe. I think you sent it to me in email as well. But Rob Abiera, uh sent me this story about Kermit the Frog's new girlfriend, Yes. And the angle is that everyone's upset because the girlfriend is thin and she's yes. not fat. So somehow that's bad because it, I guess it's feminist to embrace people being overweight or something. I don't know. Anyway, interesting. Plus, uh, Kermit has uh, a type because she's a pig, too. <laughs> well, and that's the tie-in to Pigman yes. and Infidel 3, right? Infidel so tell. So, so tell us about the release of it and the new issue and what people can look forward to. Well, yeah, I mean, it started off as just uh, a continuation of my series, The Infidel, Pigman, uh, my response to 9-11 as a cartoonist, as an ex-Muslim. And uh, it basically picks up literally right after um, issue two, where if if you didn't read it, you could just turn off your radio right now if you want and get back to it and check it out on Comicsology. But right. Pigman does a devastating attack against this icon of Islam. I, I'm, not, I'm not even going to spoil that. He does a devastating attack against the icon of Islam in response to Super Jihad's attack on the icon of ours. And then Super Jihad meets him there, and basically it sets up a, a battle between Super Jihad and uh, Pigman, the uh, representative of the, of the West, representative of the, of the Muslim world. And this is where it starts off, a battle between Super Jihad and Pigman. I won't say how it, how it goes. And then Pigman's creator, I'm his creator, but I also have a stand in, in, the, in a series called Chilean Duke. He's a cartoonist who, who creates uh, Pigman. He has a twin brother named Salam who's um, opposed to uh, Pigman. Anyway, so he ends up, he gets thrown in, in court by a group called Your Muslim Friends, which mm -hmm. is a stand in for, for care. They're your Muslim friends, like care, you know, C-A-I-R, I mean, you know, we care. And your Muslim okay. friends are your Muslim friends. So he gets thrown into um, court, forced into court to defend himself against this charge that he has desecrated the Korans that they were trying to pass out on the street in New York. 
when the fact is uh, he walked up to them and told them basically to, what the hell they do in there. And so, so close to ground zero, they got in arguments and they attacked uh, Killian. And Killian, you know, beat them up, but they lied. And they said, well, he came in there and just attacked our our private property and right. uh, desecrated our our Quran. Well, let's, and here's let's, why because let's, he's so let's let, let's let people see the details sure. of that of that battle in there. But let me let me ask you this question: Is it safe to say? that the approach of Pigman is exactly the opposite of the approach of Obama and Kerry and all the Democrats who refuse to back away from this Iran deal. Yes, and opposed to the general Republican as well, especially Washington. Um, we could have uh, ended this threat very shortly after 9-11. Instead, we have allowed to grow and expand and and just go all over. I mean, ISIS exists because we didn't do our job. You know, Al-Qaeda exists because, because Clinton didn't do his job. I mean, this, is, know, this, Ed, this is the response. Right. Go ahead. Go on. No, no you go, go ahead. Um, I was going to say, Nothing. Ed here in the was... chat room, Ed in the chat room asks whether Pigman paints the Kaaba with a gay rainbow or not. Well, he, uh, you got to read issue two, Ed. Ed. Read issue two, and you'll find out if he does that. Maybe he did. I don't know. Yeah, maybe but, check uh, it out. You know what? Those who haven't gotten my series, I really think you should. If you want to see the enemy get it in a way that they never have before in any kind of not, – not in reality, not in fiction, not in pop culture, not in comics, not in movies. Right. Check out The Infidel with, with Pigman because it takes him on – in every single aspect of the war, ideologically, culturally, militarily. Um, I mean, this is just, it takes on the enemy in the way it, they should have been taken on. And, uh, it's you know, Pigman is a stand-in for our military unleashed. Our military is not allowed to do what they do. So Pigman takes right. it on himself, say, okay, I'm going to take this war into my own hands. Now we like only we only have a we only have a minute left, Bosh. We've only got a minute left. Yeah. So where can they go to find this? Comicsology, you can read it on the you could buy it and read it on your computer or ideally so on your uh, ebook reader. Comicsology and the they can go read more about it right at at Foston.blogspot.com. I have uh, many previews of it uh, coming up to the release, which is on the twenty third. Right. So get ready for the Infidel 3 by getting issue 1 and 2 at Comixology. Excellent. Excellent. You will okay, thanks, thanks, uh, thanks for calling in, Bosch. Everybody, thank, thank you everyone. for listening here today. Um, if you want to continue the discussion, please do go to my blog at DontLetItGo.com. Let me know what you think of the new showtime. Become a contributor. Thanks, and I will talk to you next week right here. Goodbye.